Well, we have three Sundays until Christmas, and so I felt led about six months ago as we were planning for this to do kind of a three-week series as we lead up to Christmas on Mary, Joseph, and... Did you guys go to Sunday school? Jesus. That's who we're doing. All right, good. That was an easy one. It gets harder from this point on. But yeah, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. And six months ago when I was planning this series, I was supposed to be gone next weekend on a trip, and I have since canceled it just because of all that's going on here. But when I knew I was going to be gone, I asked our friend Tom Schrader from Redemption Church if he would fill in next weekend. And Tom is such a great teacher of the Word of God. I mean, a really a stellar communicator. And so I, even though I'll be here next weekend, we're still going to have Tom join us to uh, deliver the word. And when we were doing that, I asked him, you know, do you want Mary? Do you want Joseph? Or do you want Jesus? And I mean, he's such a, he's so funny. He said, I, I want to do Joseph because I've always wanted to talk about that Technicolor dream coat of his. And I said, <laughs> yeah, wrong, wrong Joseph, but I, I understand what you're saying. And so, uh, and that scared me. And then this week he this week he sends me a text. I'm going to read it to you directly. He says, I'm studying for Joseph. There's not a lot of detail. I'm feeling the freedom to spice up the story. <laughs> he goes, for example, did you know he was a Freemason, enjoyed golf, and liked to read Shakespeare? Interesting. <laughs> so I have no idea where Schrader's going with all of this, but I'm sure he'll do a, a great job. I've, I've never heard Tom teach. He really is. For those of you who don't know him, you're thinking, you're really going to have this guy? Yeah, we are. Because uh, he, in all seriousness, is an outstanding Bible teacher, a veteran pastor, and I think uh, you guys are going to be blessed. I'll be blessed as I'm here with you next week. So uh, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. And we're going to begin uh, with Mary. And my, my prayer, and I'm going to pray it right now for you, and for Cactus and Mountain Valley Chapel and Venue, uh, is that we might find some freshness this Christmas season in Christ as we consider the, the birth narratives afresh and anew. So God, I pray that as we uh, turn to your word now and to these stories that so many of us are familiar with, that God, we would not allow familiarity to get in the way, that we would not allow routine or consistency, God, to rob us of the joy and freshness that we need each moment of each day in our trust and faith with you and our, our submission to your lordship. So I pray, God, that you would grant us that now as we take a look at Mary. In Christ's name I pray, and we all say together, amen. amen. So as I was thinking about it this week, here's my initial thought, is I thought, I doubt there's an American today, or really anybody in the western half of the world that hasn't heard of the Virgin Mary. Am I right? I, I mean, I know that we live in an increasingly unchurched, secular, irreligious culture, even here in America, but golly, having said that, I just haven't met anybody that if I ever said to them, have you ever heard of the Virgin Mary, wouldn't say, yeah, I've, I've heard of her. I mean, we know that there was a gal named Mary, that she had a virgin birth, and she gave birth to Jesus. Just about everybody knows at least that. And yet I also thought this week that it's here that our knowledge and understanding of her becomes varied and for many people even muddled. Uh, so for instance, there are lots of people in our culture today that don't know any more than that about Mary, right? 
They, they just know that she was a virgin, gave birth to Jesus, and even what the implications of that are, they might not know. And they kind of just stop there in their understanding of Mary. And then there's those, think about it with me, in a more broader Christian community, thinking very broad, that have very different opinions or conclusions about who Mary was and what the implications are of her life. So, for instance, there's some within Christendom that see Mary as just shy of being a super saint. Uh, there's others that would argue, nah, she was just another ordinary person who happened to be used by God in an extraordinary way. And so we almost run the gamut in our understanding of Mary, even within Christian circles. And so what I want to do today, and I spent a lot of time on this this week, is simply wade through some of the biblical evidence, hopefully in a fresh way. Let's take a fresh look at this and try to help us come to grips with who Mary precisely was and what the implications are and were about her life uh, for you and me today and certainly in salvation history. And, and I got to tell you, some of the things I may share with you today, you might disagree with. And, and I want to give you permission, as if I need to, to say, that's okay. Do you guys all understand that? It's okay. I, I almost entitled this message, Jamie's biblical view of Mary. <laughs> but that would be a stupid title for a message, so we just called it Understanding Mary. But if you sit there today or at one of our venues and campuses and feel like, gosh, I'm not sure about that, hey, just be what the Bible itself says. Be a Berean, where in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, it says that they all looked at the Word every day to see if what Paul was saying was true. And so let's just all be Bereans, and we'll find our unity in that. But having said that, I think I'm spot on about Mary, so you're going to want to tune in to that. <laughs> now, to help us along in this, I want to begin by doing something unusual. I want to begin by contrasting what I consider the two prevailing bookend views of Mary that are out there today. And I'm going to suggest to you that both of these bookend views of Mary that maybe you and I are familiar with are extremes. I, I think they've gone to their respective extremes, and I don't buy into either of them. And then what I'm going to do is once we've settled that and see what you think of that, we're going to then uh, look at the biblical evidence for Mary and then wrap up with some practical conclusions, hopefully based on all of that. So let's dive in. You'll notice in your notes that I have put a chart here uh, in your notes, and if you don't read the notes, that's fine. This is what's in the notes. Uh, that's kind of cryptic. It has PV on the left. That does not mean Paradise Valley. And then it has CV on the right. And then in the middle, it says Understanding Mary. These are the two extremes that I want to talk to you about. PV stands for the Protestant view, the historical Protestant view. And CV is the Catholic view. You guys got that one better than you did Jesus. I don't know what that says. But anyways, it's the Catholic view. And so I want to talk to you first about the Catholic view of Mary. Some of you were raised Catholic, so this will be review for you, and others of you uh, were not, and this will be educational for you. Uh, there are two prevailing views that historically the Catholic Church has that creates, now watch this, a very heightened view, <laughs> to say it generously, of Mary. And those two historic views are what the Catholic Church calls the Immaculate Conception and then the Assumption of Mary. And the Immaculate Conception is a little bit of a, a, a kind of a, a cryptic phrase. What they mean is, is that because Mary was conceived by the Holy Spirit in bearing Jesus, she must have been immaculate 
in her life. Simply put, because Mary conceived through the Holy Spirit and bore Jesus, the Son of God, she must have been without original sin, in other words, born without any sin in her life, and even many Catholic theologians argue that she must have not had any sin in her life. And the logic behind this doctrine goes like this, that she was carrying the perfect Son of God in her, that she was conceived by the perfect Holy Spirit, so she must have been a pure, you see the logic here, or perfect vessel herself. And though the Catholic Church has wrestled with this doctrine for centuries, I mean, it really does go back to the Middle Ages, maybe even the early church, this was not codified as dogma until 1854 by Pope Pius IX. But from that time on, The Immaculate Conception of Mary is the view that they have of her. Now, very quickly, flowing from that, because this was not codified till 1950 by Pope Pius XII, was the Assumption of Mary. Uh, Simply put, uh, Mary was assumed into heaven, meaning she didn't experience a natural death. Instead, she was taken up to heaven miraculously at the end of her life. And again, flowing from the presuppositions that the Catholic Church has, this makes some sense because death is the result of sin. Mary had no sin, ergo she was assumed into heaven. And again, they've been wrestling with this for centuries. It wasn't until 1950 that it became dogma, but it is now dogma within the Catholic Church. And so as a result of this heightened view of Mary, she has been elevated, I would argue, to the rank of super saint within the Catholic Church. If you're raised Catholic, you know that they believe in all kinds of saints, and the way that they view Mary is really at a super status. She is one who now sits with Jesus in heaven. She intercedes on the behalf of Christians, as any good mother would do, and she's even one that we should pray to and even worship. So if you're familiar with Catholic practice, they have rosary beads, and along with the rosary beads is a prayer that you pray uh, to Mary uh, who is listening to your prayer because they have a very heightened view of who Mary was and is. So this is one prevailing view within broader Christianity today. Uh, I'm going to argue, as you see me go along today, that it's an extreme that it doesn't collate, at least with the biblical evidence that we are given of Mary. In fact, I'm going to argue that it goes against some of it. But before we're too hard on that, let's take an honest look at ourselves and talk about the other extreme, what I call the traditional Protestant view. Because here's the deal, gang, I got problems with that one too. Uh, Let me explain. I think what happened about 500 years ago during the famous Protestant Reformation is that because of what they perceived as some of the abuses within Catholicism, you know, the pendulum swings, they went to the other extreme. And so in most of the sermons that I hear from Protestant ministers on Mary, here's the message I get. She's just an ordinary gal, just like everybody else whom God happened to use in a heightened or good way. And I sit there and go, man, I'm not sure we're doing justice to the biblical evidence that I'll show you in a minute when it comes to that view. And again, I've heard all the arguments. Protestants for 500 years have argued this. Well, hey, Mary bore four more sons after Jesus and at least a couple of of daughters. That's what the Bible says. So she was hardly a virgin all of her life. And then they say, and she lost Jesus when he was an adolescent in the temple. So she was hardly perfect all of her life. 
And then Jesus distanced himself in his teaching from Mary when he said, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Only he who does the will of my Father in heaven are my mother and my brothers. And then even on the cross, Jesus hands Mary off to John and says, look after her. Kind of a human interaction here. And they point to all of those scenes in the Bible, and they say, she was just another gal who happened to be used by God. Let's move on to what's next. And in my opinion, as you're going to see here today, I think that's an extreme. I think that's the other extreme from where Catholic theology has come from that has only began to occur over the last few centuries and that neither of these bookends, I think, do justice to the full evidence of Scripture when it comes to who Mary was and is. So here's what I did this week. I sat down in my home office and spent some concerted time reading through every biblical story about Mary. And there's more than you might realize. Uh, Matthew has them, Luke has them, Mark has them, John has them. And they're not just stories about the birth narratives, but about the death and resurrection of Jesus, and even a couple thrown in about midlife. And as I looked at them, I asked God, and this doesn't make me right, but I asked God, you know, Lord, what is this understanding of Mary that you want us to have? As Bible-believing evangelical Christians, what is it that you want us to understand about her role? And kind of three things jumped off the page to me as we look at the evidence about Mary. Here's the first one. We need to realize that Mary was the human vehicle of a great divine miracle. In fact, let's look at it this way. Probably the greatest miracle ever in the history of the known world. And she was the vehicle of that miracle. Look at how it's put to Joseph in a dream when the angel appeared to him in Matthew 1, verses 20 and 21. It says, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, Joseph, in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." i got to tell you guys, that is one of the most profound passages in all of Scripture because it's giving us the gospel right there that Jesus came so that you and I might be forgiven of our sins. He came as the second person of the Trinity, God becoming flesh. And how did he get here that first time? Through Mary, through a virgin birth, through what is probably anywhere between a 14 and 17-year-old gal in that culture who was betrothed, engaged to somebody else, and God pulled a miracle through her. A miracle that I'm going to argue as we go along that's never going to occur again and that one that will probably never be seen in our individual lives unless you plan on birth and giving birth to Jesus in your life. That's Mary. And then as you're chewing on that, notice a second thing that the Scriptures kind of point out to us, and that is that Mary was the human vehicle of fulfilled prophecy. So look at what Matthew goes on to say in kind of an editorial way. In verses 22 and 23, he says, Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And then he quotes Isaiah 7 verse 14, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Now watch this, gang. This yellow part of the scripture here was written 700 years before Christ. <laughs> this was prophesied 700 years before Jesus showed up on the scene. 
So Mary was the vehicle of this prophecy being fulfilled that God would become a man, that God would come to this earth in the form of Jesus. So Mary is the one whom God used to perform the greatest miracle probably ever. He's, she's the one through whom fulfilled prophecy came. And then when you start to understand this, here's the real key to all of this. And that is that then you're ready to see Mary's response to all of this. How, how she verbally and behaviorally responded to being used in such a profound way. And here's what hit me this week, and this is what you and I need to wrestle with, is that Mary displays a tension between playing a very unique role in being used by God mixed with a humility befitting a fallen human being. And I believe, now watch this, that it's this tension that causes you and I, depending on your tradition, to go to one extreme or the other. That there's a tension that we're going to see right now in Mary's response to all of this, that in one sense we're going to see she is highly favored, blessed among all women, blessed among all generations, like very unique status, but then... She's going to go on to say, hey, I'm a bondservant, I'm a, I'm a slave, I'm, I'm of lowly estate, and show her fallen nature to us. And it's because of this tension, when you think about it, that people tend to choose one side or the other rather than just living the tension. Let me explain. Look first at Luke 1, verse 28, then verse 30, then verses 42 and 43, and let's string together Mary's response that shows her very unique status. It, it, this is the angel now that's coming to Mary. So in Matthew 1, it was the angel coming to Joseph. Now the angel is coming to Mary, and it says, And coming in, he, the angel, said to her, Mary, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Then verse 30, The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So twice you found favor there. Then go to verses 42 and 43. This really takes a cake. Mary is now at her cousin Elizabeth's home. Elizabeth would bear John the Baptist, and it says, And she, Elizabeth, cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, the connotation meaning all women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how is it that it has happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? It's fascinating. That word blessed there is not the same word that's used in the original Greek in like the Beatitudes when it says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. No, it's a different Greek word. It's the Greek word eulogia that's hardly ever used of human beings. It's mainly used of God, but it is sometimes used of human beings, not just Mary, but very sparingly to show a very unique status or blessing upon that person. Uh, this word, eulogia, is probably better translated, in fact, it is translated this way in other parts of the Scripture, as praise. And so in a very real sense, it could be saying praise to you, Mary, because of your unique status that you have been given in being used by God in such a way. But what we need to see, gang, is that Mary was used by God and is given a status here in the Scripture, a status of, status of favor and of blessing that I'm going to argue you and I are probably not ever going to experience in our lives. Can you give me a head nod on that? And it's not to diminish your spiritual experience at all. I, I mean, I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying that the Scriptures elevate Mary 
to a status in our thinking and in our perception and in the way God used her that's a once in a entire history of the world type of status. You're not going to bear the Son of God in your womb. If you're a man, that's a done deal. But even as a woman, you're probably not going to do that. In fact, I, I can promise you that you won't. It happened once. It happened to Mary, the greatest divine miracle. And because of that, here's what Protestants need to wrestle with. What does it mean when it says she's blessed among all women? What does it mean when it says she's blessed among all generations? To say, that's nah, just another person used by God. Do you see how that's an extreme? I'm not sure we've done justice to what the scriptures say about this woman. More on that in a second. But then we got to balance that out, again, tracking Mary's response with these words. Look at Luke 1, verses 38 and 48. It says, And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. Then verse 48, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me, and there it is again, blessed. That word bond slave, this repeated twice there, simply means a slave, a servant. It's a Greek word doule, which means a female servant, a, a, a house servant back then, somebody who, well, was just serving at the whim of the master. And Mary is saying, I'm just serving at the whim of God here. I, I'm a servant. May it be done to me according to he, what he has said. And, and then what really takes the cake is when she says that I am of humble state. A better translation would probably be I am of lowly estate. That word there uh, is the word tapenosis. And, and that word appears again in the Bible in Philippians 3.21. Now watch this. When it says that our bodies, our human bodies here, our tapenosis, our, 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 our human bodies are of a lowly estate compared to the heavenly body that we're going to get someday when we die and go to heaven. And, and so what this word communicates here, what Mary's trying to communicate, is that I'm fallen, I'm fleshly, I, I'm, I'm of lowly estate. And, and, and that's the point, is that though Mary had a unique status, to elevate her status to the rank of super saint, as to one who may have been perfect or one who may have been assumed into heaven or even one that we should pray to, is not something the Scripture allows us to do. In fact, it's the opposite. The Scriptures make it very clear, Mary's own response makes it clear, that she was a human being like us who was used radically by God but as we're going to see in a second here, it was more about him than her because she had feet of clay just like you and I. And so what do we learn about all of this from, from the Scriptures? I mean, you're probably feeling the tension, hopefully, right now, as, as I want you to. But what does this tell us about how we should view Mary? And maybe even more importantly for you and I today, what does it say about you and I today? In about the 10 minutes we have before we go to the communion table, let me just wrap up with a few thoughts uh, that might help us forever cement who this gal Mary was and the implications for our lives. And here's what we learned about Mary, and that was that Mary was a unique and highly favored person by God in salvation history, but she saw herself as a humble servant. <laughs> and here's what you and I need to do. We need to live this tension, otherwise, watch this, you will go to one extreme or the other. Amen? 
I mean, you're either going to go to the Catholic view and say, well, she was highly unique and favored by God, and the Pope said this, and the Pope said that, therefore, Immaculate Conception, Assumption of Mary, let's start using rosary beads. You will go to that extreme. Or if you say, well, heck, she was just a humble servant of God. I mean, no different. You're going to go to that extreme in the Protestant view that robs Mary of the status that the scriptures give her of blessed among all generations, blessed among all women, and one who was highly favored by God. And, you know, somebody asked me last night, well, they said, well, you know, I get it as we live the tension and don't become Catholic, but then don't go to the Protestant extreme. What are the implications of this for our lives? Not even the foggiest idea. I'm not the Pope. I'm not even a Protestant Pope, so I don't know. I, I, I mean, I really I thought about this last week. I thought, well, you know, I mean, I'm telling Scotty and Anita here, you know, to see Mary this way. And they might say, well, okay, I can do that. But, but what's the practical value of this? I don't know, aside from the fact that you're thinking right. Amen? You're thinking like God thinks. You're seeing her as God sees her. And I think there is some merit to that. And, and, and so, again, Elizabeth didn't ask what's the practical value of this. Elizabeth simply said, blessed are you among all women. And I think you and I need to see the same. Let me tell you how practical I think this is. About um, four years ago, and I don't want you to go back to it. Don't go back to it. I did a sermon here uh, called Ordinary People, Extraordinary God. And my argument based on Mary's life was the typical Protestant view. I did. I basically just said, ah, she's just a normal 15-year-old girl that happened to have the Holy Spirit come upon her, and, and it was really about God, and look at what God did, and you're an ordinary person, and God's going to come upon you and do extraordinary things. And, and you're going to see in a second, I still stand by that thesis, but I think I was wrong. You guys ought to revel in this. I don't say this very often. I think I was wrong. <laughs> Remember the Fonz? Some of you don't you know. Anyways, yeah. Some of the younger people go, I have no idea what he's talking about right now. Get on with the point. I, 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 I was wrong four years ago because I just slipped into that old Protestant view because I'm a Protestant minister. And the reality is I'm thankful I'm growing. I'm thankful that as I spent some fresh time in the Gospels this year, I realized I, I think I've just kind of fallen into the same old, same old within my tradition. Let's see this fresh. Let's see Mary as fresh. And so maybe you can follow me in that. And if not, then be a Berean and develop your own biblical worldview. But again, I, I think this is the accurate one. And, and then, as you're wrestling with that, we need to ask ourselves, well then, what does this mean for our own lives? And, and again, <laughs> this is kind of comical. I'm going to take you back to what I did say four years ago, but we're going to see it in a different light. I think one of the things that we do learn from Mary is that God does use ordinary people for his extraordinary purposes, and that it's more about him than you. But let's see this in a little bit of a different light. I'm saying this by analogy to Mary's life, not by direct reference. Can you see the difference? So what I'm saying is, is that you're probably never going to be used by Mary. I don't mean to pop your bubble, but you might want to be thankful that you're not going to be, because like there was no room in the inn, and they had to flee to Egypt, and then they had to go live in Nazareth, and that place is a dive. So, you know, you might want to be thankful that you don't have to live like Mary, but the reality is, now watch this, that by analogy, she does teach us that God wants to use very lowly, fallen human people for his extraordinary purposes. And, and you know, we, it was mentioned here earlier by Jeff, and hopefully at our campuses and venues, as was mentioned too, that one of the things in that brochure you were given today is how so many stories 
of people who are just normal, everyday people in this church are used in mighty ways to see God enter in and do extraordinary work in the hearts of others through the likes of you. It's really the miracle of the gospel. Maybe you look at it this way, and again, this is by analogy. Does Jesus live inside those who believe, yes or no? He does. So in a very real way, like Mary, you're a carrier of the Son of God. Again, by analogy, she was a physical carrier of the baby Jesus. But by analogy, you are a carrier of Jesus. Let me ask you another leading question. Does God want you to release Jesus to those around you in love and truth? Yes or no? Yes. So in a very real way, you and I are to give birth to Jesus, afresh and anew, by analogy, to those in our spheres of influence. And this is what the Love One campaign has been all about. Simply asking, you asking God, who is it around me that needs a touch of your grace? Who needs your kindness? Who needs your truth? Who needs Jesus in your sphere of influence? And then having the guts and the, really the love to take a step of faith and even a risk and share Jesus with them. This is what it's all about. You know what most Christians don't realize about December? <laughs> is that December, as much as it's a very exciting month for a lot of people of gifts, parties, uh, you know, trees, uh, excitement, time off work, all the things, family and friends, do you realize it's also a very painful time for a lot of people in this world? I I mean, Christmas for a lot of people is going to drum up bad memories, the loss of a loved one. It it heightens their difficulty uh, just generally during this time of year, partly because you're so stinking joyful. And, And so when you're around them, It just brings home to them their misery. And so I share with our pastors here all the time that December is actually one of the highest pastoral care months for Scottsdale Bible Church. Isn't that interesting? I mean, we talked to you about year-end giving and that stuff earlier. It's not about any of that. I mean, we need to do that so we keep our doors open. But December really isn't a month of giving. December is a month of pouring into people and loving them in the name of Jesus. Here's the beautiful analogy. Just like Mary gave birth to the Son of God 2,000 years ago, and was used by God in an extraordinary way, you and I get to give birth to those around us a fresh vision of Jesus in their time of need as we love them and listen to them and care for them and point out that Jesus came for them and that he loves them as well. And as you do that, and as God uses you, let me remind you of one thing, and then we're almost done, and that is that it really is more about him than you. You know, your homework today, if you are so inclined, is to uh, read in the Bible this week, Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. Can you do that? Let me repeat that. I don't see enough pens up here. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. You know why? It's Mary's Magnificat. It's Mary's responsive prayer to what all that had happened to her. And you know what's fascinating about it as I read it this week? Is that it's not about Mary. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Her own response is about who? Jesus and God. I mean, God, thank you for your mighty power. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you that you've entered in. I mean, it's interesting. As Mary was used in this great way by God, she didn't say, hey, let's put the, image, or the spotlight on me. I'm here to put the spotlight on my son and the eternal son of God, Jesus. And you and I need to do the same thing as well. All glory and praise goes to him. So I began by saying to you, and we'll close this way, that my prayer this season for each one of us and for all of our campuses and venues and those that watch online um, is that we might find freshness in the gospel, freshness in our relationship with Christ this season. 
But one of the greatest dangers of Christmas is that it really is monotonous. It comes around every year. You got to get the lists out. You got to buy gifts. You got to go to parties. You got to be with family, even those you don't want to. I mean, you know the deal. It, it, it's just, it, it, it's a monotonous time. But God never intended it to be that way. God wants for you and I Christmas to be a time where we, in a fresh way, celebrate the coming of Jesus into this world. And so we're going to try to see Mary and Schrader will help us with Joseph next week. And then we're going to look at Jesus himself and try to help you journey along to keep what's important, important this season in your own worship. As we prepare ourselves for the communion table here and in our campuses and venues, let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you that you um, are God of immense grace and immense mercy combined with immense truth. And I pray, God, that as we wrestle with this tension that we see in your chosen instrument, Mary, God, that you would just help us to understand her rightly. God, if there's anything that I've said here today that is not of your truth, that is not of your holy word, I pray that it would fall on deaf ears. Conversely, Lord, I pray that if there are things that we've talked about here that do collate with what you've already revealed, that, God, we would all embrace those things together and live the tension in our, in our understanding of, of this great, great woman, Mary. And God, for our own lives, may we also glean by analogy that if you used her, you just might use us. And that, Lord, you're in the business of using fallen imperfect people for your perfect purposes. And use us this season, God, to love others around us and share the truth of Jesus with them. And we'll deflect all the praise and all the glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, our communion servers are going to come forward now and serve the communion elements to us. If you're newer to Scottsdale Bible Church, we celebrate communion or the Lord's Supper on a regular basis. So as these elements are handed out to you, the, the bread and the juice that symbolize the body and blood of Jesus, we ask you to hold them, and I will lead us all in partaking together in just a few minutes after we worship. So God bless this time now. May we get in touch with the core of the gospel which is your son coming to this earth and going to the cross for us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.